Welcome to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. This week's Grand Rounds comes to us from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia, and is titled, Creating a Healthier Future Through Prevention of Child Maltreatment. Here's Dr. Thomas Frieden, Director of the CDC. Child abuse is a crime, a tragedy, and a significant public health problem. In this country, about one in five children have experienced some form of maltreatment, either physical, sexual, or other abuse. Child maltreatment results in more than 1,700 deaths each year, but the negative health effects of child maltreatment reach well beyond these fatalities. In addition to physical injuries, maltreatment interferes with brain development. Children who are maltreated are at greater risk for adult health problems such as alcoholism, smoking, depression, drug abuse, obesity, high-risk behaviors, suicide, and certain chronic diseases. This session of Public Health Grand Rounds will focus on the epidemiology and costs of child maltreatment and the recommended actions to both learn more and do more to combat this urgent and tragic public health issue. Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Jim Mercy, and I'm going to begin by providing an overview of the nature, consequences, and societal burden of child maltreatment. You know, child maltreatment was one of the initial issues spurring CDC's interest in violence prevention just over 30 years ago. In fact, one of CDC's first violence investigations was a study of a series of 22 child murders that occurred in Atlanta between 1979 and 1981. CDC's work on child maltreatment prevention has expanded since the early 1980s, especially with congressional appropriations over the past decade. Our annual appropriation for child maltreatment was just under $7 million in fiscal year 2011. But the importance of child maltreatment as a public health problem has become clearer as the full consequences and costs have come to light over these past three decades. Let's begin by defining child maltreatment. Child maltreatment can either be an act of commission or omission by any type of caregiver to a person under the age of 18. There are four types of child maltreatment. Physical abuse, such as hitting, kicking, shaking, or burning. Sexual abuse that includes behavior such as rape or fondling. Psychological abuse, such as terrorizing or intimidating a child. And neglect, which is the failure to meet a child's basic needs for things like nutrition, shelter, and medical care. It is beyond tragic that almost 1,800 children died from maltreatment at the hands of their parents or caregivers in 2009. This is the equivalent of five children dying every day or 71 classrooms of children a year. The great majority of these children were under age four, and abusive head trauma from being shaken is the most important cause of these deaths. Even more tragically, these deaths represent only the tip of the iceberg. In 2009, state child protective service agencies received about six million reports of alleged maltreatment of children. Based on investigations, these reports confirmed 702,000 cases of child maltreatment. These confirmed cases of child maltreatment, however, represent only a fraction of the true magnitude of the problem because most cases are never reported. Survey data provide a more complete picture of this problem. Based on self-reports from children and parents in a nationally representative survey in 2008, about 1 in 10, or 7.5 million children, were estimated to have been maltreated in the past year and one in five at some point in their childhood. 
Self-report data indicates that the overall risk for maltreatment increases with age, with emotional abuse being the most common form, followed by physical abuse, then neglect and sexual abuse. Very young children, however, are at greatest risk of most severe injuries and death from maltreatment. We also know that children with special needs, such as those with learning, mental, or physical disabilities, are at increased risk of maltreatment. Child Protective Service data is the primary source of data for monitoring child maltreatment in the U.S. While this data source is very valuable for monitoring the activities of the child welfare system, it is well recognized that it underestimates the magnitude of child maltreatment and distorts its epidemiology. For example, Child Protective Survey data suggests that young children are at greatest risk of child maltreatment. But self-report data indicates that risk is greatest among adolescents. New methods are needed that are less affected by the likelihood of cases coming to the attention of authorities. Surveys of children and parents is one very promising method, as well as making better use of hospital discharge and emergency department data. Those who maltreat children, that is perpetrators, are influenced by a variety of individual, family, and community characteristics, largely related to social and economic disadvantage. Individual characteristics associated with perpetration include factors that may impair judgment, place caregivers under stress, or those associated with limited parenting knowledge and skills. Family factors include those that produce stress or isolation from support. Community factors are generally features of neighborhoods that undermine safety, stability, support, and even trust. Child maltreatment influences health across the lifespan. Maltreatment and other adverse exposures contribute to social and emotional and cognitive impairments that in turn may lead to health risk behaviors and then disease, injury, and disability. These series of consequences suggest that maltreatment early in life may trigger a sequence of events leading to premature mortality. The health consequences of child maltreatment are broad and varied, ranging from risk behaviors such as smoking to leading causes of death such as heart disease. The evidence of these associations is based on a huge literature that spans decades. The bottom line is that while the contribution of child maltreatment to any one of these health conditions may be relatively small, the cumulative impact of child maltreatment on health across these varied outcomes may be huge. The most prominent study documenting the relationship between child maltreatment and other early adverse exposures to health is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. This study was conducted by CDC and Kaiser Permanente in San Diego and began in the mid-1990s. This is a study of over 17,000 participants in which adult members of this HMO self-report their adverse childhood experiences and health status. Adverse experiences include physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, as well as risk factors for maltreatment, such as substance abuse and mental illness. In this study, an ACE score is created by summing the number of exposures to different types of adverse experiences that occurred to a respondent as a child. Here is an example of the relation between the ACE score and mental health, in this case, lifetime depression. What we see is a graded relationship between the odds of experiencing depression and the number of adverse experiences. Those respondents who experienced five or more ACEs were at five times the risk of suffering from depression as those who had no ACEs. This association is especially important given that 9% of the adult population is estimated to be currently depressed. It's not just mental health that is affected, but also physical health. The odds of experiencing cardiovascular disease increases with the number of adverse experiences as well, 
even after adjusting for traditional risk factors. These trends also appear for diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and cancer. Even risks for infectious disease, in this case HIV, are affected by child maltreatment. Again, what we see is a consistent graded relationship with increasing number of adverse experiences being associated with the greater odds of IV drug use, sexual promiscuity, and having an STD. What mechanism could explain this relationship between child maltreatment and such a broad range of health outcomes? An ever-expanding scientific literature shows that the architecture of the brain is actually changed by the impact of excessive and repeated stress. This stress causes the release of chemicals that impair normal cell growth and alter basic structures in the brain, making child maltreatment victims more vulnerable to health problems across the lifespan. CDC has recently estimated the economic toll of child maltreatment. The total lifetime economic burden resulting from new cases of fatal and non-fatal child maltreatment in the U.S. in 2008 is estimated to exceed $121 billion. About 20% of this estimate is attributable to health care costs, 69% to productivity losses, and the rest to the cost of child welfare, criminal justice, and special education. This cost estimate is based on confirmed reports of child maltreatment to child protective service agencies. This is our most conservative estimate of the magnitude of child maltreatment. If one uses self-report data on the magnitude of child maltreatment, these costs balloon to over half a trillion dollars. Productivity losses and annual earnings are greater for child maltreatment than for smoking, obesity, and teen pregnancy combined. This isn't surprising given the broad impact of child maltreatment on mental and physical health, as well as cognitive development. We face several significant challenges in reducing child maltreatment. For one, the significance of child maltreatment's impact on health is underappreciated. We also lack an ongoing data system for monitoring the full spectrum of child maltreatment. As a society, we have not prioritized primary prevention, but rather have invested primarily in response to the child welfare system. Finally, public health is not well integrated into a coordinated prevention system for child maltreatment. CDC is committed to reducing child maltreatment by moving the field towards evidence-driven prevention strategies in several key ways. First, by raising the visibility of the consequences and costs of child maltreatment. Second, by developing data systems to better track the problem. Third, by helping the field move towards policies and programs that impact the broad environment in which child maltreatment occurs. We need interventions that can be effectively scaled up and can have population impact at a reasonable cost. Finally, we must mobilize the public health system to take leadership on this issue and fully engage in child maltreatment prevention. The following speakers will address many of these priorities, particularly as they relate to prevention policies and public health capacity. Child maltreatment is at once a critical social and public health issue. Anything that undermines the healthy development of children, as does maltreatment, has profound implications for society. Public health must join child welfare, criminal justice, education, and other sectors to work together to ensure that every child has a healthy start in life. Our next speaker is Janet Saul. Good afternoon. Given Jim's comments on the prevalence and consequences of child maltreatment, it's easy to feel overwhelmed, but we believe there is hope through prevention. Let's start with what we're currently doing 
to stop the tragedy of child maltreatment. You just heard from Jim that one of our challenges is that we haven't prioritized prevention. It's not that we're ignoring the problem. There are many organizations whose work revolves around the issue of child maltreatment. But the majority of resources go to responding to child maltreatment after it has already occurred. Clearly, this response is critical. And in the federal arena, other agencies have this mandate. Most of the response efforts are housed in the Administration for Children and Families Office of Child Abuse and Neglect. And several federal agencies also work on child maltreatment prevention, including CDC. We focus our efforts preventing child maltreatment before it occurs. We need a more balanced approach to addressing child maltreatment, an approach where we put at least as much emphasis on prevention as on response. CDC's vision for preventing child maltreatment is to ensure that all children grow up with safe, stable, and nurturing relationships in their lives. or We call them SSNRs for short. We're not just talking about parents when we talk about SSNRs. We're also talking about other caregivers and important adults in a child's life. And we also focus on environments that are conducive to providing SSNRs. Because if a family lives in a chaotic, high-stress environment, it's much more difficult for parents to provide SSNRs. A focus on SSNRs is based on scientific evidence. The literature tells us that healthy development depends on the quality and reliability of children's relationships. Positive interactions build healthy brain architecture, and that also provides a strong foundation for learning, positive behavior, and health. How do we go about building SSNRs and preventing child maltreatment? In child maltreatment prevention, we're actually fortunate to have evidence that some prevention strategies do work, and I'm going to give some examples of those. One general type of strategy is called home visitation, in which trained practitioners, those could be nurses or parent educators, visit parents in their homes to provide information, training, and support on a variety of topics, including child development, child care, and parenting skills. The community guide recommends home visitation for preventing child maltreatment, but it also found that not all home visitation models are equally effective. The Affordable Care Act created the Maternal, Infant, and Early Childhood Home Visitation Program. This program is led by HRSA in collaboration with ACF and other federal agencies, including CDC. Funding is provided to states, territories, and tribes to implement evidence-based home visitation models. The governor of each state appoints a lead agency, and in over 30 states, the agency is in the public health department. Because this program is in the initial stages, we actually don't know yet how many families across the nation will benefit. However, this funding is a major milestone for prevention in that it is a national program and it will result in nationwide implementation of strategies that have the potential to prevent child maltreatment. One specific home visitation model is called Nurse Family Partnership, or NFP. And in this program, registered nurses make home visits to first-time moms and their babies. This program has been rigorously evaluated multiple times. In one study, families exposed to NFP had 46% fewer cases of child maltreatment than families that did not get the program. Importantly, this home visitation model is also cost-beneficial, providing around $6 in benefits for every dollar spent. We'll return for more from this session of Grand Rounds Nation after a short break. <laughs> 